Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to VPC Live. My name is Jackie Vanderveld. I'm one of the facilitators for these events, and it's our very great pleasure to have Deanna Dow back with us to talk about 10 ways to study for tests and exams. Deanna is a, an academic coach. Um, she's kind of our, our, our expert, really, our in-house expert, <laughs> and she's done quite a number of our webinars for us this year, and we've got a series running um, with all of her True Coaching Effective Study Tips. So we're very delighted to have you back with us, Deanna. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's always good to be here. And like always, folks, uh, any questions um, in the Q&A button um, is there. You can also send them to me in the chat if you'd like to do that, and we'll get to those towards the end. Now, I've got to say, Deanna is very thorough. So quite often the question that you have asked during the session is, invariably answered so <laughs> so we won't repeat things that she has, has has covered but if you've got something different then we will be very happy to put those towards her at the end okay Deanna over to you thank you very much and thank you for the introduction Jackie Deanna or D, um, academic coach for coming on to a decade now and I love sharing the strategies that I share with my my own students and clients in this uh, context so Hopefully, parents, students, educators, we can get something out of this. Now, um, this session, we're going to cover quite a few strategies, 10, actually. So if you haven't already, I suggest you get a pen, a paper, an uh, iPad, whatever it is you're keeping your notes on, because um, there's going to be quite a bit in this one. Uh, so in terms of tests and exams, you know, it's an it's interesting time of year. Your students are probably either in it, just past it, or, or coming up to their mid-year exams. But these strategies that we're going to cover, these 10 strategies, are actually learning strategies more than anything else. So can, they can be used all year round and potentially even experimented with um, over the coming school holidays. So uh, please keep in mind that these, these strategies aren't exclusively for tests or exams, but they definitely do enhance the preparation towards those. So without further ado, we'll jump into this presentation on 10 ways to study for tests and exams. So really, I like to start each presentation with understanding what are these strategies actually a solution for? There's no point in, in presenting a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. So some of the most common questions that we get from students uh, leading up to a test or, or an exam period is, where do I start? How do I study? And what do I need to know? Uh, these are all pretty common questions, regardless of what year level they're in, um, but all the way through to year 12 in BCE. Where do I start? What do I need to do? How do I study? And, and how do I know that I'm ready? All of these questions come up in the lead up. So really the answer is, for the most part, you know, just start studying effectively. Um, but for a lot of students, the question then becomes, what makes a study strategy effective? What is it about one strategy that makes it more effective than another and which strategy should I choose and which strategy is right for me and how much of one thing should I do and, and really um, 
sends them into a bit of a spin on where to start. So hopefully today is going to present uh, options where a student can pick and choose a combination of strategies that works for them because many is better than one, but a few good ones is, is better than um, a lot of ineffective study strategies. So one thing that we typically refer to in a lot of the, the workshops that, that I present, and if you haven't gone and watched them yet, I strongly recommend you do, is we always refer back to um, strategy uh, effectiveness and studying um, efficiently in terms of retention rates and how you're actually interacting with the study itself. So this is one of our, our favorite diagrams, a learning pyramid, which basically discusses the different retention rates or how well a student is able to retain and remember information based on how they've learned it. So um, a very brief overview of this would be if we're starting at the top, um, at only 5% retention is when a student simply hears information or sits in class and is told information but doesn't interact with it in a meaningful way, you're really only leaving them with 5% you know, retention. And reading it or reading information over and over again, as a lot of students uh, do in preparation for tests, is really only leaving you with a 10% retention rate. And this is true for audiovisual and even being demonstrated, um, having something demonstrated to a student, the maximum retention rate for all of these strategies is 30%. So we call these passive learning strategies because there is very little involvement from the student and there's very little interaction from the student, which is why it has such limiting retention rates. So where we like to play and the strategies that we like to provide students sit in our active learning strategies. So from strategy five, six and seven, with at least 50% um, retention all the way through to 90 is strategies that actually involve the student interacting with the content, interacting with others and actively studying as opposed to passively studying. So all of the strategies we're going to talk about today are going to be in that active space and we're going to give a lot of examples so the students are able to experiment with and choose the ones that work for them. So now that we understand how active strategies fits into learning, the question is what are these active study strategies? So if we had to categorize them, it would be the active study strategies really involve recalling information and or manipulating words, symbols, and ideas to better understand and retain new information. In other words, anything that the student is doing to look at and rephrase or restructure or change, in a, change into a format that better suits them or that they can understand better is a form of active learning. Any attempt to recall the information from um, their mind without having it in front of them or without using notes is also uh, active, an active strategy or an, an active learning technique. So it really fits into three categories, which is your memory and recall. So 
How can you actively practice not only putting information into your brain, but taking that information out? Uh, Understanding, which is understanding how information is connected, why it's important, and why we need to use it. And then application, which is taking your memory and understanding and putting it into different contexts and different questions and exploring different ideas. So what we're going to go through is active strategies in each of these categories to make sure that the student is getting a balanced um, learning experience of memory, understanding and application because it is far too common for students to stay in the memory space and maybe not explore their understanding or application or skip straight to application but not have a good understanding of the information or even be able to talk and communicate about concepts with a level of understanding but not remember definitions and not be able to apply. So there are different categories of active strategies and today we're going to basically give you a few from each of these categories for students to um, experiment with and and use to uh, prepare themselves in any learning context. So to get into the strategies themselves, we're going to start with active memory and recall strategies. So to recap, memory is putting information into your brain. It's remembering facts, figures, definitions, ideas, things that might not necessarily involve a whole lot of understanding as much as they do just remembering the name of a muscle, remembering the formula in mathematics, remembering a quote from an English book, things that you just have to remember. But more importantly, recall, which is testing your ability to pull that information out of your brain. And one of our favorites is an adaptation on a really common study strategy, which is actually the use of cue cards. But cue cards themselves, if not used correctly, can be passive. So how do we make cue cards active? Now, we like to use a Leitner system of uh, active cue cards, and there's really a few elements involved. So The first and most important is that the cue cards should be formatted in a question and answer form where there is a question on one side and the answer on the other. Now, this is particularly important because most students typically just put all the information on one side of the cue card, but in order for it to be an active activity, you want to have a question or a trigger on one side and the information on the other. So that's a first key to this being an effective strategy. But there is also a fun way of um, going through the um, cue cards using some spaced repetition and some a bit of gamification to more thoroughly work on what the areas that need to be worked on are the ones that are found more difficult and spend less time on the things that are quite that they're quite familiar with so to explain this diagram essentially all the cards start in your first box now I actually have students that have really enjoyed creating these boxes and decorating them and putting stickers and glitter and all sorts of stuff on these boxes but Basically, it involves having three boxes or three piles or three areas to store 
your cue cards. The first box is where they all start and it, they are questions that you answer every day. So you pick up the cue card, you read the question, you write down what you think the answer is on the other side, and then you flip it to check. Very simple process. Writing the response down is definitely a much better way than just saying it out loud or thinking it because we can give ourselves a false sense of uh, confidence if we say something that's kind of correct or think something that's a little bit incorrect compared to writing something which is going to be black and white on the page. So the first box is something that we look at every day. You might start with 10 cue cards in there and you answer all 10 of those questions. Now, once you answer a question correctly, it actually gets to move to box number two. Now, box number two, you only have to check every second day. And on two days from then, if, they, if you get the answer correct, you get to move it on to box number three. But if you get it incorrect, it moves back to box number one. Now, hopefully that diagram actually breaks it down um, well enough for you, for you guys to understand. But basically what this aims to do is to allow the student to repeat the question and answer because repetition is very important. It allows them to um, progress in a way where they can say, once all of the cards are in box number three, that means you've managed to get them all correct. So it's almost a progress tracking tool as well. And it also allows them to engage in spaced repetition, which is actually on our list of strategies. So cue cards is something that a lot of students typically use to study, but the passive approach to cue cards takes longer and has very little benefit, whereas having an active approach to cue cards in question and answer, as well as having some kind of system to spend more time on the questions that you need more help with or that you're struggling with compared to those that, that the student's more comfortable with. So um, this is one of our favourites. It's active. It's interactive. Um, it can be used at almost any year level starting from quite young. Um, if the students say, I don't know what to study, this gives them something to, to do. They can just go to a box and start answering those questions. So this is one of our favourites and it's our first strategy in the memory and recall section of today's presentation. So number one, active cue cards. Now, the cue cards are based on a question and answer system, but sometimes information isn't that straightforward. It's not just a simple question and a simple answer. And sometimes a better way to process and remember that information is to actually turn it into a diagram. So diagrams uh, help us remember connections and relationships between information. So this is actually both a memory strategy as well as an understanding strategy. By taking a list of dot points and making it into a flowchart or taking a list of pros and cons and making it into a table, or taking some numerical data and making it into a graph, our brain is much better suited to retain images than it is to retain text. So by converting all of the notes to 
images and diagrams, we're actually allowing our brain not only to remember the information better, but to remember the connections between the information better. So what we typically encourage students to do is after they've initially learnt that information in class or in school, take some time to see if they can establish some connections between the information instead of something written as step one, step two, step three, maybe represented as a flowchart across the page. Um, instead of a list of features of something, perhaps put it in a table, anything that helps them better categorize and sort the information in a visual way is going to increase the student's ability to remember and ultimately recall that information. So turning text into diagrams is our second strategy. And this combined with the first one is also effective because you can put a diagram on one side and a question or an idea on the other and try to actually draw out the diagram that you think is on the other side of that cue card. So there is a lot of ways that these strategies actually interact um, and it is the combination of all of them that ultimately gets students over the line. So number two is turning your text notes into diagrams. Um, so that is a second strategy for memory and recall, but we do have one of our favorite recall strategies coming up for number three, which is actually what we call a blank page active recall. Now, it is exactly what it sounds like. You get a blank piece of paper and you set a timer for seven minutes. It is an arbitrary number that we've chosen, but 10 minutes is typically too long and five minutes is, is not enough. So seven minutes seems to be the sweet spot. And write down the topic that you're learning or the area of study at the top of the page. Now, at this point, you allow your brain to remember and recall everything that you can about the topic. Most of the issues that we encounter when we're working with students is because they spend so much time putting the information in their brain and little to no time pulling the information out of their brain. And when they come to test day or exams, that's the exact skill they're going to be tested on, their ability to pull information out of their brain. So strategy number three is purely aimed at helping the students practice that process of pulling information out of their brain. Now, ideally, they're not using any notes and the timer is there to help them stay focused to, to really push to get as much as they can out of their brain. But the reason this is one of our favorite strategies is because it can also be used for a gap analysis. So when we talk to students about a gap analysis, it's exactly what it looks like. It's analyzing the gaps in their knowledge and what they don't know. So after they have finished the seven minutes and they have written everything they can remember and anything they can think of, it could be a term, could be a whole sentence, could be a diagram that they've worked on, 
they've written everything they can remember. Then they go through and compare this to their initial set of notes or they compare it to their textbook or they compare it to the list of things they need to know for this test or for this exam and they can very quickly pick up on the gaps in their knowledge. So they can pick up on the areas that they might not easily recall when they're prompted by the name of the topic or by the idea. So this strategy is one of our favourites because it's short and sweet enough to do quite regularly. It's something that you can do after every class. It's something you can do at the end of every week. It's something that you can do in the lead up to a test. It's one of the first strategies we recommend to our students um, because the first time you recall something, it's a little bit tricky. The second time you recall something gets a little bit easier. But the third, fourth, fifth and sixth time becomes progressively easier as we go. And without doing an activity like this, you're really recalling information for only the second or maybe the third time on test day. But if you are practising consistently recalling this information, then test day might become the 10th, 11th or 12th time that you're actually going into your brain to pull this information out. So once you get to test day, this is a lot easier. So the, this is one of the simplest, one of the shortest, and one of the easiest activities for, for students to do to build their confidence because every time they recall, they will add more to the page, to get an understanding of what they know and what they don't know, and to practice recalling that information. So number three is the blank page active recall. This is really useful when paired with the diagrams because if they've worked on flowcharts and graphs, it can be easier to recall diagrams than it can uh, large chunks of text. So this paired with number two is a really great combination of strategies for students to not only study for exams and tests, but study at any point in time and revise information at any point. So we're a big fan of number two and three. And all of these strategies, every single one of them works best and most effectively when paired with our fourth strategy, which is spaced repetition. Now I've had the pleasure of working with many memory coaches, learning coaches, educators, teachers, um, PhD candidates that are working in the education space. And they all pretty much unanimously agree that spaced repetition and recall, so more specifically spaced, um, spaced recall, repeated, I guess, or spaced rep, uh, recall, um, recall repetition, for lack of a better phrase, is one of the most effective study strategies because it's not only practicing the skill of recalling, but it's leveraging our brain's natural memory curve to help strengthen that understanding and that memory of that information. So, the memory curve itself is based on how quickly we forget information once we've learnt it. And spaced repetition is there to combat this. 
it's there to negate the effects of the forgetting curve. So whatever strategy that is chosen, it's important that it is repeated one day after, three days after, seven days after to maintain the effect of that strategy and to really strengthen the memory. So if we look at this curve, once information is first learned, three days later, the retention is down to around 60%. Now, this is, um, this is a diagram from when this concept was first explored, the concept of the forgetting curve, but there were really, um, there is a lot of suspicions that the forgetting curve is a lot steeper now because of the amount of information that, that students are processing from school, social media, their interactions, they're suspecting that it's closer to 40% after the three-day mark. So it is likely to be steeper than this, but we're still hopeful. So we will continue to use this model until some more research is done. But if nothing is done, if, if a strategy is used once or information is learned once, and no revision or study is done after that, then three days later, the students have forgotten at least 40% of what they've learned. But if we continually review the information, that is, if you use the cue cards and the Leitner method, which does allow you to uh, repeat information every two days, every four days, or if you recall the information one day after it, it has been learnt and then three days after it has been learnt, we can actually combat the forgetting curve and start to make the uh, increase in memory retention by making the curve less steep. So after the second time you review information, it actually takes more than twice as long to get down to that same 60% threshold. And every time you review the information, the line actually becomes less steep, which means every time a student reviews the information, it's not just that they are reminded, but they are less likely or it takes a lot longer for them to forget this information. So the information is retained for longer. So this, if you take one note today, it'll be that spaced repetition is the key to learning and preparation and that any strategy you use is only effective if it is repeated. None of these are quick fixes. None of them are, that's all right, my student will just do these cue cards and they'll be ready with their definitions or um, I'll just do a blank page recall and that's how much I know and that's okay. These strategies are most effective and arguably only effective when they are used repeatedly and when a combination of them is used. But spaced repetition is one of the most um, researched and renowned kind of learning strategies that has been found consistently to be effective across the board, regardless of age and regardless of content being learnt. So um, that is a great way to wrap up the first section or the first four strategies, which are all about memory and recall. But we know that memorizing information isn't enough. And we actually also know that in the modern world, memorizing information is almost a redundant or useless skill because 
all the information we could possibly need is available. It's available on the internet. It's available one call away. It's available somewhere or from someone. So while in school, it is still an important skill and we encourage our students to definitely spend some time memorizing information. It's actually understanding that allows students to develop skills that are not only gonna help them for this test or this topic or this exam, but help them in everything they do in the future. So the next few strategies are less about purely memorizing or recall and more about understanding what the information means, how it all links together and how we can use the information that they're being taught. So if we head into the next section, you'll notice that there is a slightly different um, agenda to these strategies, starting with number five, which is the good old who, what, when, where, why, and how table. So we like to put it in this basic format because the students are typically familiar with who, what, when, where, why, and how um, from you know, their early years in primary school, from having their different, um, different book reviews, different assignments, different text analysis. They're very familiar with this, but we like to push them to use it in a slightly different way. And you'll notice the two examples on the page are from maths and science, which typically aren't associated with who, what, when, where, why, and how. But basically this exercise is a predictive questioning exercise. It is one where we get students to consider what are the questions that they might ask us that start with who or that include a what or a when, because all questions will need to discuss something, explain what, or uh, outline who, define where. All of these words are commonly used in questions. So by getting students to actually think about what information from each topic fits into each of these categories, you're getting them to understand and perceive the information from multiple angles. So for maths, for example, a linear function, now there is no who in maths. It's typically not related to a person. But if they think about the graph as having an identity, the who becomes the graph itself. The what what is this graph representing? It's representing a linear relationship or it's representing y equals mx plus c. When is this graph used or when is it relevant? It's relevant when two variables have a linear relationship. Where does this graph exist on a Cartesian plane? Why do we use linear? It's used to measure and compare and make predictions using trends. And how do we use this linear graph? So typically in our experience working with students, students can get the who and the what and maybe even the where, but the when, why and how forces the student to contextualise the information. When is this important? Why is it important? How do we use it or how does this fit into the bigger picture? So this exercise is used as a predictive question exercise as well as a broadening their understanding exercise. So 
this is why this is an understanding category because it forces students to categorize think and expand in ways that they might actually not be doing in school so they have to push themselves a little bit a little bit more and think a little bit outside the box so there are some subjects this is relatively easy for anything in the humanities domain typically does involve a who what when where why how who discovered it who is relevant um, who are the main stakeholders what is it what does this mean when is it occurring when is it important when did this happen so all of these questions are a little bit easier in your humanities subjects, but we really try to get students to push it a little bit further um, and try to use it in more abstract subjects like maths and science. And it really helps them to get a better understanding of what they're doing. So this is one of my personal favorites. Um, and from here, doing the predictive question exercise. So first filling out the table and then perhaps writing out these predictive questioning and if you have been playing along at home, linking this to topic one, uh, to strategy one, which might be to put these questions onto cue cards, now you have strengthened your understanding and given them a way to recall the information as well. So um, a lot of these strategies are best used together. You could also potentially blank recall this table if you give them an empty table then they can fill in the who what when where why and how so a lot of these uh, strategies are interrelated um, with the next one not being an exception so the next strategy after number five which is our who what when where why how table is a one page summary sheet now, these one-page summary sheets are a collation of all of the students' notes and diagrams and understanding, but there is a key difference between this and the initial set of notes a student would have taken because between that initial set of notes and now they have potentially converted their information into diagrams, they have potentially connected their information in ways that they hadn't thought of before. So when they create this one-page summary on the area of study, which is AOS at the top of the page, the information is not to be in chronological order, but rather to be connected in ways that make sense. So instead of the notes being, this is what I learned in the first lesson, this is what I learned in the second lesson, and this is what I learned in the third. It's actually going, well, this concept is connected to that concept, and that concept is connected to this. And here is a diagram from my notes, but here is a description from the PowerPoint. And here is a definition that I read on the internet. And here is a combination of everything I know in a format that makes sense and connects the concepts through logic as opposed to chronology. So this strategy is aimed to get the student to think not just this is everything I need to know, but this is the relationship between everything I need to know. This is how this diagram is linked to that information. So this helps them better prepare for 
questions that might link different topics and, and areas of study, particularly helpful for exams. But also when we speak to students, the process of making, let's call them cheat sheets, which is what the students typically call them, the process of making cheat sheets for a test or a resource sheet for a test, which is putting all the information you need to know on this one piece of paper before you go into a test that you can take in with you. The process of creating that cheat sheet actually makes the need for the cheat sheet almost redundant on test day. So to elaborate on that, a lot of students say that the time that they spent creating the cheat sheet, the time that they spent determining what information is important, what's going to be on the test, what's going to be on the exam, the time and effort they put into doing that meant that when they got into the test, they didn't actually need to use it because it was such an effective study strategy. So that's why these one-page summary sheets, even though you're not allowed to take them into the test or the exam, the process of determining which of the information is in, what in bits of information are important, what format do I need it in for the exam, and when would I need to use each of these facts and figures, that process in itself is an effective study strategy to understand the information. So that's why these one-page summary sheets are number six. And again, this combined with a blank page recall would be students attempt to recreate and reconnect this information on a blank piece of paper to see how much of it they've actually retained. So there is a lot of synergy going back and forth with these. So just because the strategies are in this order, one to 10, it doesn't mean that's necessarily the order that they need to be executed in. It's not necessarily that they only have one function. So um, it could be that these strategies are used in conjunction, used repeated after each other, um, alternated between. So a lot of them are connected in ways that allow the student to learn on multiple platforms and in multiple environments as opposed to just one. So number six is a one-page summary sheet. And all of these strategies so far are relying on the student's ability to sit and think and restructure their information. They may need the support of their teacher to get a better understanding. They may need a tutor or a coach to help them navigate these tasks. But sometimes they don't want to do it alone. Sometimes they don't want to learn alone and they don't want to study alone. And we do encourage the use of study groups, but there is one strategy that makes these study groups way more effective than just simply sitting around all answering a question together. So following number six, which is our one-page summary sheet, number seven is to teach someone. So if you are past the point of studying on your own or if you feel like the student might need some um, support or someone to lean on, Teaching someone could be anything. It could be teaching a parent, teaching a colleague, teaching a sibling. 
It could also go as far as teaching an inanimate object. The process of teaching someone is to basically recall what information you understand about something and to explain it in a way that is succinct enough for someone on the other side to understand. Because many students have a very good understanding in their mind, but their ability to communicate it might be where they are lacking. So teaching someone is strategy number seven. If you remember or think back to the learning pyramid, this is actually the um, strategy that yields the most retention rate. It's at 90%. If you are able to teach someone else, that means you have a good understanding of it. And if you have a good understanding, you're 90% um, likely to recall or retain it compared to the top passive strategies where you might not actually understand the information. So there is a quote that says to teach is to learn twice and learning twice is better than not to learn at all. So um, getting or encouraging the students to communicate and articulate what they have learned to someone else is one of the most effective understanding strategies in our tool belt. And it's because there are multiple ways that the student can benefit from this. One, they have to organise and structure the information in a way that is understandable, so that's skill number one. They have to articulate and communicate in a way that is clear, that is skill number two. And then they have to potentially respond to questions or confirm understanding of whoever they're talking to, which is skill number three. So as parents and educators, you should encourage the students to teach you what they have learnt and potentially have their notes with you so you can ask them questions if they make an error or ask them questions if they need to further elaborate on something and really force them to um, explore their understanding on a deeper level. So teaching someone is... Um, definitely one of the more effective strategies. And again, combined with other things, your one-page summary could essentially be the lesson plan for what you're going to teach someone. The who, what, when, where, why, how might be a structure that you teach with. You might teach the person the who, the what, the when, the why, the how. So um, these, before the student can go on to teach someone, they need to have a the structured way that they have processed the information and that's where some of the previous strategies come into place but this is certainly one of the superior understanding strategies now some students do not necessarily like to interact with others while they're studying or might feel a little bit shy so starting off with just verbalizing it out loud and hearing themselves say it is step one, then potentially moving to a sibling or a parent is step two. But ideally, they're, they're having these conversations with uh, students that have studied what they're studying so that they can bounce ideas off each other and leverage that social learning element as well. So teaching someone else, strategy number seven is the last of the understanding strategies before we jump into application. Now, 
application to preemptively kind of answer any questions that might come up over the last three strategies is really only achieved by applying the information to different scenarios. So therefore, it's really only achieved by doing questions, by doing case study questions, by doing short answer questions, by doing multiple choice questions. But there are different ways that students can do these questions and interact with these questions to leverage their learning. So the next three strategies are consistent in that they all involve doing questions, but different in the way that they um, allow students, they're different in the skills that they are sharpening for the students. Now I've used VCAR questions as an example here. So VCAR is just the, the governing body that runs the exams for VCE students in Victoria. So if you see the word VCAR, that's all that that is referring to. But application strategies is about taking everything that you have learned so far, everything that the students have um, understood and memorized and recalled and putting it into practice. So naturally, strategy number eight is to do practice exam questions. You can replace that with practice test questions, practice application questions. The reason I'm, I'm using exam questions is because if we are referring to VCE students, they should always be aiming to do exam questions. But doing the questions alone is not necessarily enough to get a thorough um, gauge on how your application is going. So we actually encourage the students to do a bit of uh, reflection and trend analysis. So this strategy basically involves students doing questions from multiple exams and multiple tests and multiple places, and then cutting and pasting them or copying and pasting, depending if it's digital or, or on paper, all into the same place. So as an example for these, I've got VCAR 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018. So these questions would all be on the same topic. So they might all be on business structures or they might all be on photosynthesis or whatever the topic is. But instead of students doing a question and moving on, instead they're doing the question, they're collecting the questions that are about similar topics and they are analyzing trends and leaving commentary. So their comments might include any tricky words or concepts that appeared. For maths, it might include calculator instructions, but the most important step is actually writing these steps to answer the question. And if we can help students understand the clear distinction between the answer and the steps to the answer, that is where true learning begins because the answer to a question at any given point in time is the most irrelevant skill for the students to learn. But how to arrive at the answer based on the question. So because this question is a discuss question, step one is to identify the advantages and disadvantages. Right? that skill set is more important 
then remembering the advantage and disadvantage itself. It's knowing when you need to use what information. So this strategy is not just about aimlessly doing questions, but rather encouraging the students to understand how to answer the questions, how to use their calculators, what tricks and words to look out for, and create little summary guides of um, of these trends and these questions for each subject. So for Year 12 students, even though we are four or five months out from exams, this is something that they can start doing now for the areas of study that they've covered. Um, it's really um, helping them, I guess, prepare and desensitise themselves to every way that they could structure a question on a particular topic. So strategy eight, which is practice exam questions, actually lends itself into strategy nine, which is not a new strategy as much as it is a combination of two. Creating a bound reference. Now, in VCE maths, students are allowed a bound reference in their exam, which means they're allowed to take a book with whatever they want in it, any information that they could possibly imagine in this book to help them in answering the questions. Now, the way we encourage students to structure this book is for every topic to have a one-page summary followed by all of the ways that they're going to ask you to apply this information plus commentary on how to answer those questions. So combining strategy eight with our one-page summary strategy into one book. But why have we given this its own strategy? Most of the time when students get to the end of the year in year 12, where they're gonna be assessed on four terms worth of work, or even when students are doing mid-year exams, they have a digital set of notes, they have a note, notes that they've written down, they have exams printed off, they have PowerPoints from their teacher, they have uh, workbooks and worksheets, and all of their information is scattered in a thousand places. What a bound reference allows them to do is throughout the year, create one central information hub that not only has a succinct summary of what they need to know in the right format for their tests and exams, but also application of that information and instructions on how to execute. What we have found is by giving students the task of creating a bound reference for each subject every year from the beginning of the year. That is, when you learn the first topic, you create your one-page summary and you do exam-related questions. It gives the students a purpose for studying along the way and it leaves them never asking what should I do or what can I do because the answer is always build on your bound reference, answer more questions, add more information, recall your one pages in there. So this actually becomes the one centralised task that they work on, which includes every skill that they need to learn. So this is probably the best combination of all of the strategies in one. And basically, by the time the students get to exams, they have one book as opposed to a thousand resources 
which includes a summary sheet for every topic with information from all of their resources and execution of those questions. So this is probably um, the holy grail of strategies, for lack of a better phrase. And this is one thing that we get all our BCE students to focus on because it, it really focuses their learning into one effective resource, which challenges all of their skills. So once you've created this bound reference and you've recalled all the information and you've got a great understanding, the only thing left to do to prepare for Saxon exams is to actually practice the exam conditions. So this is where they are actually doing full practice tests or exams. And in year 12, we typically recommend that they do at least 10 practice exams for every subject, but a lot of students opt to do more. And they can start with no time limits and open book, which means using their notes. But the idea is to eventually progress to full exam or test conditions. Now, this step number 10 is less about preparing content and more about preparing for the conditions. So first, practicing and exposing yourself to questions under a no stress, which is a no time limit and no notes, but then eventually introducing that time limit, but perhaps still leaning on your bound reference or your notes, ultimately wanting to practice the tests and exams under full exam conditions. We have done a previous workshop on um, study conditions and how that affects your ability to perform on tests and exam day. So this really is leveraging that. This really focuses on the need for students to practice the conditions as much as the content. And for year 12 students or students doing unit three and four subjects in Victoria, they have access to practice exams back till 2006 for most subjects when they started going digital at the VCAR website, which is vcar.vic.edu.au. And they actually have it for most, <laughs> Uh, all of the VCAR subjects, sorry, and you can access past exams and examination reports. And these examination reports actually um, include common mistakes, include ideal answers, and include everything that the student could possibly need to understand how to improve their exam responses. And in some cases, the subjects actually go all the way back to 2002. So remembering to leverage your resources. So in summary, 10 ways to study for exams. We started in the memory and recall region, which was active cue cards using the box system, turning text into diagrams, blank page active recall, and spaced repetition. Then we moved on to understanding, which included the who, what, when, where, why, how table, our one-page summary sheets and teaching someone else. Then finally, application of that knowledge through questions, creating bound references and doing practice exams under exam conditions. So our recommendation is that the students do at least one from each of these three um, categories. So memory, one from memory, one from understanding and one from application. But as I tried to allude to throughout the presentation, a lot of these can be used together 
um, or combined or alternated to have a more effective um, impact for the students. Finally, if the students actually need help, remember that there are some key resources in their life, starting from the teacher, that they can ask what areas that they should work on because the teacher will have an idea of their past assessments and, and, and gaps. A wellbeing coordinator might help with coping for strategies for stress. A subject tutor could um, help for one-to-one -one help on specific content matter. And a study coach could ask, um, you could ask them for study and planning strategies, so more around the approach to learning. So remember that the students are not alone and there is a broad support network and, and a lot of resources out there, including us, um, True Coaching, so we cover a lot of these. But for now, are there any questions? It was a lot of content. Hopefully we squeezed it all in in half an hour, not too quickly. Um, but those are the 10 strategies that we've put together for students studying for tests and exams. Thanks, Jackie. Well, amazing as always. <laughs> amazing as always. And you've actually covered a lot of the questions, but we do have some that have popped up that I think are worth, uh, that we, we do need to address. So the first one, and, and I'm going to be referring back to some of the earlier um, presentations that Deanna has done for us. Um, certainly, I know we've got one from March of this year about, about skills and techniques and preparing for leading up to exams and, and, and exam day. But I think this is a nice one here. And I think you've, you've covered it, but I think it's nice just to reiterate that again. High school students seem to have a lot, have several different sources um, to study from textbook, class notes, online resources and additional tutoring workbooks, etc. What's the single best resource if there is one or combination of resources students should adopt to study as a specific exam strategy? Yeah. So you'll notice that particularly our one-page summary strategy actually leans into the fact that it's um, there is not one ideal resource, particularly because students process and understand information so differently, there might be one resource that the students use for one bit of information, which could be a textbook, but then there could be a video that the teacher has shared that gives them a better understanding from a different angle. And then they could go Google something and it, and it gives them a better understanding again. So I would argue that there is not one single or necessarily even a ideal pairing or combination, but it um, is important that the student perhaps even brings out all the resources in front of them, their notes, the PowerPoint, the worksheet, and sees the commonality between them and chooses the wording and presentation of that information that best suits them. And that is what they should put on their summary sheet. So I think it's, it's probably a good problem to have because it's a skill that they're, that's preparing them for the real world because we all know that when we need a bit of information, there's 10 different opinions from 10 different places in 10 different formats. So the process of reading them all, seeing which one resonates with you best, the one that you understand best and summarising it is actually part of the learning process. So if you've got a student that is overwhelmed by all of them, I guess class notes and a textbook might be your most traditional pairing, but I've actually found audio visual 
as well as the textbook and class notes is a good pairing because they might hear it, read it and see it and find the best solution for them. No, good. It's always good to get the affirmation. Um, the next question that we've got here is about uh, study. Where are we? So I've managed to minimise it. That's really not good, is it? Um, yeah, uh, a, a study. Can you suggest a possible study plan for students for use from the start of term? Now, I know, Diana, we did cover this when you were talking about optimising yeah. Um, your study yep so maybe just maybe just some two two points and but we can yeah. certainly I think to this question I think the person asking it we can certainly point you in the direction of the yeah. previous webinar so yep. to use from the start of term I'm actually going to leverage today's presentation is the combination of that initial note-taking and understanding strategies can be used from the very start of term when they learn something converting it into diagrams converting it into who what when where why how and then the spaced repetition. So it's actually less relevant what strategy they're using and more that they are regularly repeating it throughout the term. So they might be regularly recalling information from week one in week three, in week five, in week seven. And that can be started from the start of term. And then that in combination with what we've previously talked about, about optimising your study environment will create probably the strategy you're looking for from week one of term three. Fantastic. Thank you. And I know we're just a little bit over time, but another question here about how parents can assist, particularly their high school students. Well, I mean, I would say for a start, Deanna, I'd be saying show them these videos. Yeah. <laughs> would be would be a good would be a good help. But yeah. anything else anything else you can recommend there for parents to, yeah. to help them? So it's it's always a tricky dynamic with parents and students because there is a little bit of what do you know, mum and dad, and I've got it and I don't need it. But ways that you can be there and I guess a supportive um, side, but actually helping them study is if you create a plan together, if they're open to it. Um, and then an element of keeping them accountable without scolding them. So saying, hey, do you need anything for your recall this afternoon or do you have your notes ready? Or do you need any resource? Do you need a book to build your round reference or are you on top of it? So actually helping them from a do you have what you need or can I support you with your plan in any way is a better approach than have you done this and have you done that. But then in terms of how they can actually interact Quizzing them using the cue cards, so where the cue, the question is facing the student and the answer is facing the parent, they can do in a in a quiz style activity if you want to be more involved, or being the person that the student teaches when they're communicating the information and asking questions, particularly why is that, how does that work, and getting the students to elaborate. So from one side, if the student is less receptive to very hands on. Get them to, to weigh in on your, uh, get them to create a plan that you both know and are aware of. And then you can ask them, do you have what you need? Do you feel supported? Do you need any more resources for your plan? Or get involved by asking questions or becoming the student. Fantastic. Always ask permission. <laughs> Always. Advice from a mum who's been around, who's done this a few times. So, yeah. yeah, always ask permission. Deanna, thank you so much for your time tonight. This is always so practical, so useful. 
and I think that anyone who's uh, any parents watching this or, or showing this to their students later, to their, their young people at home, um, would will be getting a lot of value, um, of a lot of value from this. So as we're getting ready for holidays in Victoria, um, it's an always nice to have a break, but it's also a really good time to be, you know, brushing up on some of these skills while you've got the time and, and you, you know, you've got that space to be able to do, be doing some really good study habits in place at home. So join me in thanking Deanna. Thank you so much. You're back again, I think, in a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Um, so we're after the holidays anyway, and uh, we'll be continuing our series uh, in uh, study techniques with True Coaching and Deanna Dow. So um, we look forward to that one. So look out for the uh, the publicity and uh, and share with your friends and your network um, so that we get more people joining us. So once again, thank you, Deanna. Thank you, everybody. Have a lovely evening. Bye now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.